You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Jessie Stevens. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Holly Wainwright. And on today's show, there's been a turn in the Me Too stories we're hearing about in 2021. And it's unveiling some horrifying tales about famous men. This week, there's a new one. And can you imagine having slept through the entire pandemic? One 19-year-old has done just that after emerging from a 10-month coma. But first, I'm going to explain something. I'm going to explain why we're hearing the name Craig Kelly everywhere this week in particular. If you're wondering who Craig Kelly is, let me take you by the hand. He is a Liberal MP, he's a federal member of our parliament and he represents the electorate of Hughes, which is in southern Sydney. So it takes in some of the southern suburbs of Sydney and some of the northern south coast. And he's big on social media, which is interesting because he's not like a hip millennial type. He's not an AOC vibe. He's not doing makeup tutorials, he's not. He's definitely not. He is the quintessential middle-aged white man, really, in a suit. The kind of guy we're all very used to seeing which maybe makes him all the more dangerous if you've been listening to what he's been saying lately because his areas of special interest are vaccine scepticism and climate change denial. Today, he is going to be even more across the headlines than usual for two reasons. One, Tanya Plibersek just cornered him in the corners of Parliament to have a bit of a go at him. He's had a busy day. He's He's had had a busy day. We're going to play you a little bit of that. My, my mum lives in your electorate and I don't okay. want her exposed to people well, that's okay. who are not well, going to be well, listen, vaccinated listen to because of these crazy conspiracy well, theories Tanya, that you're spreading. Well, you're the one doing that because you are the one spreading misinformation. He so says, your Prime Minister is wrong, says, is he? No, Prime Minister is 100% right. He agrees with I'm you. I'm saying you Scott are Morrison, wrong. Listen, listen, my Prime Minister will speak for himself. Listen to the words of our most senior immunologist. Today, yeah. in the Sydney Morning Herald, I'll, I'll listen to he, has said, he has said... He has said... And this morning he was on the Today Show because he was defending his controversial positions and Alison Langdon also had a bit of a go at him. Craig, we have seen deaths from COVID. We've seen sickness. Mm -hmm. We've seen mass job losses, hundreds of billions of dollars spent in government stimulus. Mm -hmm. All our hopes are riding on a vaccine. You need to be quiet. Well, if you don't want to listen to our most senior qualified I am listening to them country. and I think well, you need well, to not. start listening you to just, our scientists you just said, you and just our said, doctors. Well, our, most, our scientist is our most senior qualified immunologist in this country, Professor Robert Clancy, and you are not listening to him. I'm sorry. No worries, Craig. You're in a position of responsibility and I think you're failing in that duty. And I'll continue to speak the truth and tell the truth. The reason for Craig Kelly's busy week is that his positions exploded onto Pete Evans's podcast this week. Now, we try not to speak that man's name, but Craig Kelly was a guest on Pete Evans's podcast where they had a, a frank discussion that they really enjoyed about their shared beliefs about COVID. And Pete Evans branded him the bravest politician in Australia. But here's the thing. Pete Evans, who is banned from Facebook, had a lot more followers than Craig Kelly did, but he wasn't a federal member of parliament. Pete Evans doesn't have the implicit approval of Scott Morrison and his government, but Craig Kelly does. And that's why his views have become a big target for Labour this week, who've come back from the break looking to pick some fights in a potential election year. And this dangerous rogue MP is one of their targets, which is why Tanya pulled him up in the Mm. corridors. 
they are putting a lot of pressure on the Prime Minister this week to condemn Kelly. Yesterday, actually on Monday, the Prime Minister was asked by journalists if the government was wasting all this money on the $24 million public information campaign about the vaccine if some of their own MPs were slandering it and trashing it. Morrison responded to the question by saying, Kelly is not my doctor and he's not yours. But then he also said Kelly did a great job in his Sydney electorate of Hughes. But then this morning, he pulled Kelly into line a little bit. Craig Kelly went to get a big telling off in the Prime Minister's office and came out with a little bit of contrition saying, oh, I will totally support the vaccine. You're right. So what do we think about this? I think this is really challenging. You know, we spoke about vaccine hesitancy earlier in the week and there's a big campaign because the government has identified that women aged 30 to 39, some of them are nervous about about getting the vaccine. Now, the question when people express hesitancy or raise falsehoods about the vaccine, by giving them airtime, by inviting them onto your show, by mentioning their names, by talking about that hesitancy, do you give them more oxygen and mean that more people will likely become influenced by them? Or are you shining sunlight on it and disinfecting it that way? And are you sort of raising it to then cut it down. I mean, obviously we are very clear on this show. We are not doctors or scientists, but we believe doctors and scientists. We take government health advice. We will all be getting the vaccine. So this whole idea of inviting Craig Kelly onto your show on the Today Show, giving him this platform to talk and then saying don't talk, that to me, obviously, the but- reason that he's got such such a lot of followers on, on Facebook and the reason that they invite him on the show is because – this stuff is interesting to people. People so are sharing it. He's a symptom. He's a symptom of a broader problem. I don't think that Craig Kelly is the entire problem. He was voted in. He is obviously speaking for a faction of society and we have to work he was out. They didn't vote him COVID. in about this, right? Yeah. So no. the thing is, is the, one of the reasons why we're talking about him is because of his social media engagement, which is high and much higher than the prime ministers or the health ministers mm. or the Department of Health, is he is considered one of the most influential politicians in Australia, even if you might not have heard about him till this week. Which means that people but, are engaging yeah, with his content. Yeah, it does. But the people who live in Hughes didn't elect him because he has questionable views about vaccines. That wasn't on the table. His climate denial stuff probably was. And I mean, climate denial is anti-science in the same way that this is anti-science. And this is how a democracy works. And we've got to work out in Australia and in the UK and in the States and in all these countries, how we are going to deal with this discussion Mm. because it is not going away and you cannot silence the likes of Craig Kelly. You can't. It's also a Facebook problem because we know that the algorithm rewards things that are controversial and things that are not true. So if you go on Facebook and say, I support Scott Morrison and he's doing a great job and here's what you should do and listen to the scientists, no one's going to engage with that. But if you say something, throw down and say, I don't believe in this or maybe I believe in that, like Pete Evans, like Craig Kelly, you get a lot of people disagreeing with you and also people agreeing with you. But I went on to Craig Kelly's Facebook to have a look at what he was saying. I wasn't familiar with him, Mm. which I was really proud of before, you know, this morning. A lot of people are commenting that they agree with him. So this does already have oxygen, clearly. Mm. These people become lightning rods for all the other people who aren't 
you know. Exactly right. And so I've been thinking about what we do because I don't think I have all the answers. But the best example is what Tanya Plibersek did. And I am just so impressed by her that what we can do is confront men like Craig Kelly with facts, ask him, I think that that was a really good point she made about her mother and living in his electorate and being scared about her going to the coffee shop and if there's other people in the community who aren't vaccinated, he's being challenged, that's what we need to do, and we need his argument to essentially fall apart, which is what Alison Langdon attempted to do as well. I agree that... But how will it fall apart, Jesse? He just says, but look, read this and research and then yep. someone he's else says... He's got his own set of facts. He's got his own set of facts, exactly. So, you know, when people say, do you research and look up this person and listen to what that person said, it's a little bit like... You can find a quote from the Bible to prove or disprove anything. And the problem with science is, and this is what scientists will say, obviously there is enough scientific evidence to point to X, Y theory, but science is always evolving, right? Mm. And so there are always going to be studies looking into different things. And because of that, people will grip onto the different facts. There's never going to be one science. If someone says this scientist said that or that immunologist, because we are not scientists and immunologists, we don't know the difference Mm. between a peer-reviewed study, a non-peer-reviewed study, et cetera, et cetera. So it's easy for people like him to grab one out-of-context finding or quote or piece of research and try to use that as a weapon to silence the actual facts. But we have to remember that he's a member of our government. So he's not a crackpot on Facebook. And I think that the pressure on Morrison this week, Scott Morrison this week, to pull him into line was absolutely right. And I think really that's what Tanya was trying to do, is she was trying to apply real political pressure because he looked foolish in that exchange. The video of that's going to go viral today. If you haven't seen it yet, you will see it because he's wagging his finger in Tanya Plibersek's face and he's just saying, this guy, read this guy, read this guy. And we all know that a few minutes before that or after that, the Prime Minister had told him, pull your head in. And he went, oh, okay, I better pull my head in. And really the Prime Minister should possibly have done that a few days ago yes. because we can't control the crackpots on Facebook, but we can control whether or not the people in power are speaking the truth with one voice because that's what the Prime Minister has to do. But they never will. It's funny that there's an exact um, replica of this situation going on in America at the moment. There's a, a Republican member of Congress called Marjorie Green, and she is a hardcore QAnon believer. Yeah. And she's saying things like Nancy Pelosi, who is the Democratic Speaker of the House, should be executed. I mean, she's out there saying all this stuff. And the leader of that party, the Republican Party in the House, is saying she's espousing crazy loony theories and these theories are a cancer on their party. But just like Scott Morrison won't kick Craig Kelly out, Mitch McConnell won't kick out Marjorie Green because they need that vote. But Craig Kelly, if he has the courage of his convictions and he doesn't want to be part of a government who are promoting a vaccine he doesn't believe in, he should bloody resign and stand Mm. as an independent on all his crazy platforms and see if he gets elected without the credibility that the Liberal Party is lending him every day. I have always believed in... Just a heads up, the next segment deals with conversations around sexual abuse and it might not be appropriate for all listeners. So if you or someone you know is impacted by sexual assault or domestic or family violence, then you can call 1-800-RESPECT, which is 1-800-737-732. This week, actress Evan Wood, who I remembered from the film 13, but you might know from Westworld. Oh, she's so good in Westworld. Yeah, she posted a message to her Instagram account and the 33-year-old wrote, the name of my abuser is Brian Warner 
also known to the world as Marilyn Manson. He started grooming me when I was a teenager and horrifically abused me for years. I was brainwashed and manipulated into submission. I'm done living in fear of retaliation, slander or blackmail. I'm here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. I stand with the many victims who will no longer be silent. If anyone doesn't know who Marilyn Manson is, he is the 52-year-old singer, songwriter, producer, actor whose stage name is actually the fusion of two opposing American icons. So Marilyn Monroe, sex icon, and Charles Manson, a serial killer. I can't think of a single song that he sings or writes, but he's got that real goth thing. He wears those weird pale blue contact lenses. You know he was really big in the late 90s? Like his heyday is well behind him. He was engaged to Rose McGowan, In the late 90s he was, I remembered him from the movie, I think it was Bowling for Columbine. Yeah. Because those two guys who committed that terrible crime, allegedly were Marilyn Manson fans. And Michael Moore interviewed Marilyn Manson in the documentary and he came across quite well, like quite normal. He's very smart. Yes. Yeah, he's quite a nerdy guy, Yes. So Wood shared those allegations, but she wasn't the only one. There were four other women, I think there's since been more, who have come out against Manson and alleged horrific physical and emotional abuse. Wood had sort of been alluding for years to sexual abuse and domestic violence. She had said that she was with someone when she was 18. She was 18 and he was 30-something, I think, when their relationship first started. And she said that the sexual abuse escalated over time. It included threats to her life, severe gaslighting and brainwashing. She would wake up to him raping her because he believed she was unconscious. She said that he tortured and starved her. And then in an interview to Spin magazine in 2009, he actually said to a journalist, and this is a quote, I have fantasies every day about smashing her skull in with a sledgehammer. That was about her. And he also said that he will text her and call her and when she doesn't respond, he resorts to self-harm. And he said that to the media. Four other women have come forward. They've said that they were tortured, that they were terrorised, that they were locked in rooms, that he blackmailed them, physical violence, coercion. Each and every woman says that she is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. So this came out on the 1st of February, these allegations, and no doubt they will continue to. And this is at the same time as Army Hammer. They've been coming out since early January. And about a week ago... He's the one that we talked about last week that was accused of being a cannibal? Yes. And Christina Ritchie, just in the last week, has alleged that her ex-husband terrorised her for 24 hours a day. Really serious domestic violence allegations. Holly, what did you make of this and how much it seemed to be an open secret? Because that was the same with... Army Hammer, it seemed, that there'd been really problematic public interviews where no one had raised a red flag. But when you look back, you go, hang on, was this was he hiding in plain sight the entire time? I think it's bizarrely encouraging that these stories are coming out into the light that in some ways you're like, well, yes, right? Like Evan Rachel Wood was 17 when she started that relationship and he by all accounts, groomed her from that age. But she's spoken before in the past about how, you know, her family and all her peers and her management were all like, no, don't get involved with him. Don't go on that tour bus. Don't do this and that. And she said, I was a headstrong young woman who wanted to taste everything that life had to offer. And obviously she'd been groomed by this guy, this monster, basically, 
to be sucked into this life that then he went on and repeated many, many times with different women. And the thing that I find bizarrely encouraging about it is that now that these women are getting to speak, we're slowly dismantling this romanticized idea of a tortured artist, you know, mm. who has a muse, who may actually be treated terribly, but it's all in the service of his art. And, you know, we can read Marilyn Manson interviews for years and listen about his struggles about drugs and sex and all of the things and go, oh, yeah, well, that's what rock stars do, you know, that's or that's what movie stars do in the case of Army Hammer is sleep with a million beautiful women and treat them badly and whatever. And they're all sexually adventurous. We dismiss it as exactly. them being, you know, having some weird sexual fetishes, but it's all all fine, whereas this isn't fetish. This is No, and, well, and his what, response is that it was all consensual yeah. and that she's misrepresenting Absolutely, the and that not everybody's sex lives are vanilla and not everybody's relationships are conventional and that's all absolutely true. But now that the women are allowed to talk because now we live in an age where women are apparently allowed to talk, they're saying, uh, no, this was deeply, deeply screwed up. And what I really hope is it does dismantle that myth about the Hollywood wild man and this being a really attractive idea or the tortured artist who treats everybody around them but particularly the women around them like objects to be abused and discarded. I love the idea that maybe we are just finding that as abhorrent as it actually is? I think it's the next phase of Me Too. I think that the first phase was about women in the workplace and women, um, you know, in, in career situations, whether they were famous women or, or not famous women, and a lot of lights were shone on that, the, the, the strongest obviously being Harvey Weinstein, who's now in jail. I think now it's about women in the public eye who are speaking out about their relationships and they say we're abusive. And I think that one of the things about being in an abusive relationship, which I was many, many years ago, is that you don't recognise it at the time as abuse because mm. it's not all bad. And you think, especially when you're young, you know, it's dramatic and maybe this is what true love is and there can be great sex involved and it can be interesting and it can be passionate and then the lows are terribly low and the highs can be terribly high. And sometimes it takes a long time, firstly, to stop being scared of that person and feel safe enough to speak the truth about it, even to yourself, even to say, oh, my God, that was actually abuse. That wasn't just a bad fight or a bad relationship. That was actually abusive. I'm not so encouraged by the fact that, A, the record label definitely would have known that these allegations were around, but they only dropped him once the women went public. You can't just say, hey, there's some gossip out there about you. There was more than gossip, and that's what's right. becoming very clear, is that from the interviews, his whole persona was based on this guy who was kind of creepily obsessed with women and would had said everything you possibly could without saying his name. And so I imagine that the record label would have had to know. And the mm. second thing is that these women have to go to Instagram. And I think they have to go to Instagram because they don't think they will be believed otherwise, because the conviction rates are so pathetic, because they are dismissed, because they're embarrassed in a courtroom all of the those power reasons. imbalance too. He's exactly. got all the money and all the power for the lawyers and they don't. They're just ordinary people. Exactly. And I, I worry I worry about that, that that's the only possibility for a lot of these women is to go public. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. I also wanted to raise the fact yeah. of how interesting it is that Rose McGowan, who you mentioned before, Mia, she's probably one of his most iconic partners because there's a photograph of 
Yeah. Her, when she was engaged to Marilyn Manson at the VMAs in 1998 where she's wearing this like a naked dress mm. that would probably even be a bit shocking now. I mean, yeah. we're much more used to naked dresses now, but it's very famous. And that's a picture that's often used about Rose McGowan when she's now in this incarnation of being the incredible advocate and warrior that she is. But she came out and said, that she was not abused by Brian Warner, by Marilyn Manson, during their relationship, but that she very much supported the women who were saying that they were. And I also thought that was interesting because if you think about when the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case was Mm. in court in London, Mm. several of his high-profile exes like Winona Ryder and his ex-wife Vanessa Paradis came out and said, because he never abused me, I'm vouching for his character. He probably didn't abuse you either, Amber, whereas what Rose McGowan has done is kind of a classier move in a way not to and I mean I'm not telling women what they should say or think about their partners but where she sort of said this wasn't my experience but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. but I respect mm. the women who say that it was theirs yeah but the closer you look at these allegations this is not a matter of bad sex this is not sex gone wrong this is serious serious if what these women are saying is is true we're looking at emotional physical mm. psychological abuse that's pretty pretty deep and pretty damning what i know for sure is that Mama Mia out loud! is the most powerful tool we all have this is a story that has come out uh this week that i don't know if it's happy or sad or funny i think it's a little bit all of the above so a lot of us have said over the last i don't know year or so remember if you told me a year ago that this is where the world would be I wouldn't believe you. I often think that, like if I'll be walking somewhere and everyone will be wearing masks and sometimes I'll just see things and I'll go, wow, this is... Not what I expected. Not what I expected. (laughs) Well, it's actually happened. There is a 19-year-old boy, Joseph Flaville. He was hit by a car while walking in the UK on March the 1st last year and that was three weeks before Britain's first national lockdown began. He suffered a traumatic brain injury and he's been in a coma for the last 10 months. Now, the great news is that he is emerging from that coma. What makes it interesting is that he's coming into a very different world to the one that he was last conscious in. He has had no knowledge of the coronavirus pandemic, despite the fact that he's caught the disease twice while he was in his coma. And he's recovered on both occasions, which is great news. So as I said, he's slowly starting to come out of his coma and he started responding. And this is what his auntie told The Guardian. I just don't know where to start with it. A year ago, if someone had told me what was going to happen over the last year, I don't think I would have believed it. I've got no idea how Joseph's going to come to understand what we've all been through. She also said the family have tried to explain over video call. Things are still very dire in the UK, obviously, and they can't be with him as he comes out of his coma. They've tried to explain over video calls. So first of all, imagine that, waking up, Where is you've my been mom? in a coma, yeah. you don't remember the accident, you're in a hospital room and why is my mum on a computer? And they've tried to explain why they can't be with him but they haven't really, like they've got to give him sort of small bits of information. They haven't right. been able to say, and also we're locked in our houses and also two million people have died and... All of these terrible things. So she's aunt just went on to say, when he's awake in his room, he's not going to have any idea why he's there. We do talk about it on the phone and we try to make him aware that we really want to be there holding his hands, but we're just unable 
to do it. We try to keep it as simple as possible. We don't really have the time to go into the pandemic hugely. (laughs) (laughs) Neither. Jessie, where where would you begin? I think there are a lot of people thinking that perhaps it would be nicer if we'd all been in a coma. Without, you know. No, but making if you light were going to be in a coma for 10 months of your life. Assuming and hoping that he will recover Yes, fully. exactly. These were the 10 months you'd, you'd elect, I yeah. think. And a lot of people in the UK are saying you'd just be like, you know what, I'll stay here. Like I don't need to go out. But I think that starting with the global pandemic would be very interesting to try and describe to him what the situation is and what's gone down and you would say the bad news is you've had it twice, the good news is you're clearly still alive. Trying to describe world news, the mask situation, the photos. GameStop. And (laughs) the thing is the good news as well for this guy is that there is so much TV to catch up on because Tiger King hadn't come out. When he went into a coma, Tiger King, Queen's Gambit, he has so much to catch up on it. Great you know television what I, is being I read made. they once used to do is uh, when Big Brother was on because they go in there for like three months or whatever, right? So when they come out, they've got a little reel that they show them of like a summary of the news that's happened while they were inside. Where would you? I mean, and that's the thing is like, how long would that reel be for this particular kid? Quite long. And the items you'd need to show him of like these are the things you need to familiarize yourself with now, like hand sanitizer all the time everywhere masks here we super go super spreader the, yeah the words you need to learn exactly mm. ppe and super mm. spreader he's woken that, like. up in a sci-fi movie like if someone showed you that you'd be like cute sci-fi movie where's my news clip like it would just seem like something so far-fetched and how wonderful for his family but also devastating to not be there and all you'd want to do is comfort your child and hold them and apparently when oh. he turned 19 his mum went in in full PPE he was still unconscious then and she was trying to talk to him and oh we are on to recommendations and I have a really good one do you want to hear about something exciting that happened in my life on the weekend always I threw away Every pair of knickers I own. This is what I need to do. My underpants, they all have holes on them, in them. They have all been in accidental washes. So the white ones have turned pink. Yeah. The black ones are a and nightmare. Let's not mess around. Like knickers don't look great forever, do they? No. Like, you know, they get they stains don't. on them. They, get, they can get a bit bleached sometimes. Yep. They've got holes in them. The elastic goes. But, you know, you just persevere. Unless you're dating and then you've got your good pairs, obviously, or, you know, you've got your nice pairs, your lacy pairs. But I have, this is a confession, I only wear black underwear, only wear black underwear Mm. ever. And I just have a whole drawer full of black knickers. Is that since you got a merino? I think it's just... Because it can be a little bit... Surprise! Yes, but also it's it's just... Low maintenance. Agree. You know, I've never been a gal who can keep her whites white. No. (laughs) So I threw away every single pair of knickers that I own on the weekend and I went to Big W or it may have been a Kmart, but one of those where I was for back to school shopping anyway, and I bought giant packets of just plain black cotton knickers and it wasn't very expensive because they're cheap. And I now, I can't tell you the joy I have when I open my knicker drawer every day this week since then and all of my knickers are pristine. How, how many, many pairs of knickers do you have? How, how many, many pairs? Well, this I was an interesting choice because I th- I'd committed in my head that I'm just going to throw them all away. Mm. Yeah. So how many do I need? Yeah. So I bought three five-packs to start with. Yeah. So that's I've got 15 pairs of And pants. what shape are they? Well, they're a mixture of big, 
Yeah, like high pants. High pants, which I love. They Harry are the high comfiest pants, anyway. ever. Yeah. And I also bought a few like more like the bikini style ones, which I don't love so much. And had you tried them on before? Because imagine if you got 15 pairs of uncomfortable knickers. I know. Well, you know what else I did? And this is just, I just bought a size up. I always oh, do that. Yeah, because I like I've I've let go of the vanity, the nonsense vanity that I was somehow holding on to in my past about like but I'm this size. I'm like whatever. Oh, no, knickers have always got to be big. I'm just buying the Comfy. biggest size that I know will work for me and that way they'll I've be started fine. to do that and you feel so much better because I've got love handles and so if I try and do the hipster ones then I just feel it makes you feel uncomfortable all day and I just went stop pretending that you were the same size you were three years ago you just pull them up you tuck everything in and it, you just feel a lot safer I want to know if anyone still wears g-strings yeah well they do I think I want to know do. if the out louders wear g-strings tell us but basically my recommendation is a small life hack that will make you feel a lot better about things is to throw away all your crappy knickers i'm not saying like throw them away all the time like i'm saying that yeah don't hold on to what no longer serves you oh <laughs> so true that is all we have time for on Mama Mia Out Loud today. We will be back in your ears on Friday. Jump in and tell us what you think about anything we talked about on the show. You know where to go. The Out Loud is Facebook group, but we also love it if you record a little voice memo on your phone. Easy to do. And email it to outloud at mamamia.com.au. This show was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer of Mama Mia Out Loud is Eliza Ratliff. And we will see you on Mama Mia. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.